Hey, everybody. Welcome today. I've got Jack Lloyd back on the show. Jack, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you and I've had a lot of stuff going on recently. I know I've been waiting for a while for the Kickstarter for the comic, and I heard that just finished up. Not not the Kickstarter, uh, but the comic itself. Right. Yeah. So we like the Voluntarius comic book series last year, we did a campaign to do the sixth issue as well as a remaster of the past origins issues to bring everything into alignment into continuity um, with beautiful art. And we finished it. So we actually you know, see right here. Um, this is the trade paperback edition. This is just a set of three of these. Um, you know, you can see there it's got Voluntarist origins and cat comics. So it looks really cool. Um, it's got a great back on it too. What does it uh, mean to be truly free? So it's got that nice wraparound cover, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So there we go. You know, got the single issue uh, versions here updated too. So um, basically, we remaster all those covers and the interiors, and now everything is beautiful with stunning artwork outside and in, and great lettering, all that good stuff that I did myself. So. I am thrilled and thankful to everybody who's a part of that. And I actually just shipped out the final perks from that campaign. This, uh, yesterday, we wrapped up this weekend just before this hurricane <laughs> is about to hit. So hopefully it don't get lost in the mail now that you know, the hurricane's fine because that would stink. But I hope not. But, I've yeah. been looking forward to it for a while. I got four of the originals. And so I ordered mm -hmm. from the Kickstarter the last two and then the new ones. <laughs> so I can have the complete set. Got to get them all. Awesome. Yeah, heck yeah. I'm excited for that. You've also, uh, the hurricane's coming, so that's pretty pretty scary. What, uh, not temperature, what uh, category is it now? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly, because they were saying it would turn to a major hurricane, like at least a Cat 1, by the time it's coming off Florida's coast, because they said, you know, basically around Cuba, it would pick up some steam. So, you know, we've been watching it. It seems... Like it's kind of slowed a little bit because at first they were saying it's coming sooner and they keep, you know, adjusting the times. And now, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll, maybe it will hit, maybe it won't. It is also going a little north. So it's kind of hard to tell. And that's, you know, the thing with hurricanes is, you, you know, you just don't know. And then, of course, the government tells the wrong people to evacuate and they stop private businesses from helping out, you know, from out of state. And they have laws about like price gouging and that prevents. The incentives needed for people to bring in supplies so as usual we, we can expect that at least the government will mess things up you know mm -hmm. even uh <laughs> despite the uncertainty of where the hurricane will fall exactly yeah that's one thing that's always certain one one organization that we work with is the cajun navy and they're routinely discriminated against by the government told to stop helping right. threatened with arrest in favor of the government help that sometimes comes and sometimes doesn't uh little folks at fema etc yeah I mean, it's nuts they even will stop people from out of state like who will come over who are professionals right they're licensed even in their state they'll try to come over and help out right because you just need extra help and extra hands more than you you have supply for to fix homes and then they'll arrest them for being unlicensed in florida even though they're you know perfectly fine in their state for roofing and, and doing repairs so that they have all these kinds of crazy restrictions that prevent people from actually being able to come and help out even if they're wanted right someone's saying i voluntarily i want to hire this contractor we need help or short on on contractors and and um 
you know, direct repair people, you know, to come in and help get things fixed faster. And the government stops those outside people who are you know, perfectly competent. No one's saying that they're incompetent, but they're they're just not licensed in this state and they don't have the permission and you know all the hoops that they have to jump through for this state, even though they did it already for their own state. Yeah. The really galling thing is that they they say that it's being done to protect people, to protect them from incompetent or dangerous providers of such and such service. You have to get licensed, you have to get registered. Then that stops people as we've as you've seen. Uh stops people right. from the help they need. So it's just it's just a bad situation. But let's I want to turn briefly because we've got we've got our education uh fundraiser ongoing because it's it's back to school season, so more people are interested <laughs> in that. Even people who don't go to public school, it's still uh still feels like that time of year just because of the culture uh, that we're in. And one of the aspects of things that you do in the liberty movement is your persona as the honest teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what exactly is that about, the honest teacher? So when I was, uh, I guess I got to go back a little bit further than this even. Uh, well, I was a, a criminal defense lawyer, uh, specifically focused on juvenile defense in the criminal realm. And so being in that environment, uh, I had already had this kind of backdrop of working with young people and seeing what's going on at the ground level with young people being processed in the system for all different types of, of criminal acts. And a lot of that does circle around schools because kids are often in school. So a lot of times when they're getting arrested for something that deals with school or having a school property. Um, and while I was you know, doing that, it, it was very frustrating to see how young people were treated in that process. Uh, a big part of the juvenile defense system, or I should say the juvenile justice system, is focused on schooling as the norm, right? So a big part of their pressure on kids is like, how are you doing in class? Are you, you know, how are you doing in school? There's, there's very little focus on the actual health of the young person, their emotional health, their mental health. Um, everything is is really focused about, oh, if you show up to go to school and you get good grades and every, then your life must be dandy, right? Like that's basically kind of how it is structured. That's measurable. And, you, know, you can't measure how how well a person is feeling. That doesn't fit nicely into a, a little checkbox for the system. Yeah. Right. They, and they have that whole mentality in the status paradigm that's like, oh, okay, you know, this public school. So this is where you get your snap lunches or your, you know, subsidized food or this or that. See, you know, we're going to be basically your parents for kids at, at risk or in need. So there, there's that big mentality there that schooling is the savior of young people. It's it's like this is the church of the state and you need to be in attendance in order to be saved kind of thing. So I, I was witnessing that yeah, it is very creepy for sure and how they treat it so i witnessed that and i found it very disturbing and frustrating and i also witnessed young people still doing school while in juvenile detention so they're in orange jumpsuits and while they're you know being processed waiting for what's going to happen which is typically just a diversion program it's not you know it's not typical that young people are going to prison or jail or something like that it's, it's more so that they have specialty programs and stuff like that but um while they're waiting, they are in holding cells and they're in our jumpsuits. And even there, they're, they're putting them through the schooling process. They have a classroom and it's kind of weird because it's like, oh, this classroom looks just like any other public school classroom in prison. And they're, you know, detention also. Um, so it, it was very alarming and, and just put things into context for me in a deeper way than I had ever experienced before about the nature of schooling. Um, just having been through it, you know, on the receiving end as, you know, a, a student, 
in many contexts. Being on the other side of things in the, in the juvenile uh, justice system and seeing it from that angle was, was fascinating. So I had switched then um, to wanting to help kids in the schooling paradigm by doing substitute teaching and then later becoming a full-time teacher at an 8A public high school, which is a big um, you know, in terms of student body population, high school, and then at a K to eight charter school. So during my time um, there, I really got to see firsthand what it is that is done to young people and how it destroys them and how it absolutely ruins their, uh, you know, self-direction and their creativity and how it really does punish young people just for simply wanting to value things outside of whatever they're being uh, forced to do. And so that's what inspired me to do the honest teacher and to create that because I saw the problems of schooling in a, in a very dynamic way. And I even had a background before that too. Um, from my father, he was he was a New York City a school teacher for thirty years and retired from that. So and I got to visit him and see you know what that was like. It was pretty rough because it was inner city, but so I, I had a pretty robust experience in the schooling paradigm, having been private school, uh, public school substitute teaching, public school full time teaching, high school charter school, um, tutoring company owner as well, uh, you know, the criminal defense realm, I, you know, my own dad's work. So I, I really have a pretty broad base for seeing the schooling process and the ins and out in many angles. So I wanted to help educate families on the alternatives. And the one alternative that to me resonate as most ethical is the self-directed education movement and unschooling. And that was something that I discovered by I guess you could say the route of John Taylor Gatto, a little bit of John Holt, um, and then the Sudbury Valley School in Framingham, Massachusetts, which has been open since I think 1968. And they have, you know, a kind of more formal school building, but it's um, unschooling as in uh, there's no forced curriculum, no mandatory classes, no shaming ultimatums and grades kind of thing. Um, so kids are free to just explore the world and they are supported um, in whatever they want, you know, with adults acting as facilitators, like just being there to help them for whatever questions they have or point in the resources. Um, but there's no compulsion that so that match, I thought the ethics of liberty much better. And that isn't to say, of course, that that means that kids don't learn, they never read a textbook or anything. No, it's just it's just in the context of their own interests. If they want to take a class, they choose to take a class. If they want to learn in a formal setting, they choose to. If they want you know, go to, to college early or something like that, they definitely can. It's just not forced upon them through threats, shame, and ultimatums. So um, my look into that and studying those people who did it and having friends who actually did that as well with their own kids and getting to see that and then talking to other great people like Carrie McDonald, who is a, a phenomenal expert on the topic. She has her own book on this, Unschooled, um, ra Raising uh, Curious, Well-Educated Kids Outside the Conventional Classroom. Um, she has her master's degree in education from Harvard. She unschools her four kids. She's a fee fellow. Um, she is you know, the one I'd like to point to the most because she has – you know, the academic credentials and the applied experience and the, you know, the, the authoritative book on it, I think it in is. terms of this really encapsulates it. So um, the honest teacher became a vehicle for me to talk specifically to the, the ways that public school or compulsory school, private or public harms young people and to point people in the direction of how to unschool um, by giving them resources, you know, books to read, examples to look at so that they can apply it in their own lives, you know, for, you know, typically parents, of course, are the ones who would be applying that with their kids. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what encapsulates that. I have a twofold question. What do you think is the most damaging aspect of the compulsory school system and on the flip side why do some kids seem 
to come through that just fine and not have any any problems and do just fine in life. Sure, yeah. So the most damaging part uh, to me is the rushed and hurriedness aspect of that pressure that inherently causes a young person to lose all sense of their self-direction, creativity, and philosophical thinking. And I, you know, I saw this all the time. I still see it. it. You know, when you have kids who are constantly just jumping hoops and they are exhausted all day, they're going to school. You know, school day is going extra long. They have homework. They have extracurriculars they have to do because you know they need to do this to look good for their college resume or maybe whatever for high school. They are just so exhausted and overwhelmed with this work and this constant pressure to perform under the, you know the threat of getting a, a shaming label with grades that they don't have any deep thinking. Uh, they are just constantly memorizing and regurgitating, just trying to get by, just trying to pass the test or get an A or whatever it is, just just to get through. There's no time for just deep reflection on specific ideas and to really, you know, let it percolate and to challenge it and to go, you know, deep and, and robustly into it. it. It's just hurried along. Like here, here's more information. Here's more information. Here, kill next test, next quiz. Go, 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 go. And that causes young people by the end of, of the schooling process to have a very disjointed uh, understanding of the world and reality with all the topics broken up. It causes them to not really have any sense of like integration of knowledge and th and critical thinking skills because all, all they can do in the time is, is just really try to memorize and regurgitate and get by. You know what I mean? Um, very few young people have that level of intelligence naturally to bypass that process it's just overwhelming like the amount the amount of time taken up the stress and everything else it, it really is just incredibly overwhelming for like most everybody even very intelligent people so i think that does the most damage because then by the end of it you come out of school and you practically know nothing right you, you really in the truest sense you have no way to to rationally process information in context you have no way to think for yourself you, a lot of what you've learned in history is is bunk, like total just propaganda from the government. Um, and and so you, you end up just being a very confused person. You'll fit as a cog, you know, somewhere well in terms of being good at following orders, of course. If you're good in school, then you're good at, okay, here's what I need to do. Here's my task. But you won't be able to self-start. You won't be able to think on a broader context about the world. And um, you won't have your 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 creativity and self-drive there. It'll be very uh, – extinguished by the end of it because you've been told hey you know whatever you want just doesn't matter you need to focus on this and if you have time then maybe you can you know read something else but no you, your your math history science english and whatever else are gonna throw at you that has to come first so i think that is probably the most destructive part of that is that that creates this whole trauma based backdrop to someone's thinking um and then the other part the oh someone comes out of it well adjusted i don't think that's true at all i don't think anybody does um who's in that experience every um every aspect of, of public schooling creates trauma and how people respond to trauma will be different there's different types of responses to trauma for some people um they end up becoming self-loathing and defeated right there's some kids who it's like they feel like I'm bad at math. They'll say that for the rest of their lives. I'm just bad at math because they think, oh, okay, you didn't get in time for this quiz and you got a 70 or 60 and you're just bad at math. So they internalize these self-shaming labels and then they they embody that, which is just 
expected for young developing kids who are you know, not able to take in those things holistically. All they can think of is in terms of all or nothing there. It's not surprising. And then the kids who conform, they're also traumatized and damaged because they have been successfully traumatized uh, enough to become sociopathic. So what that entails is that if you are successful in the schooling context, you have successfully shamed yourself, your inner drive to extinction to the point where you are willing and able to put aside all your other interests and to focus on schooling and to obey and to do every assignment and to get in all your homework on time and to get in everything and to, you know, up, you know, appease the teachers, not cause too much trouble that you would, you know, not have those higher grades. So, you know, by and large, most young people are going to experience one of those two types of directions most typically. Of course, there could always be some exceptions to that. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it. I, I, I've seen everybody who I've talked to and, and actually processed those things have different types of trauma from it. It's just inherent, you know, with, with the forced threats, shames, ultimatums, mantras put on the kids and, and the, the fear-based thinking. Um, but those tend to be the two most common traumatic reactions, the, the products of that, which is, you know, conformity. So eventual blind obedience, authoritarianism, or self-hate and shame and loathing and feelings of worthlessness. Um, and that that those are, are really the most common. And it feeds into kind of the, I think, the systemic nature of it all. Because you can't, the more streamlined and efficient a system is, the more people they can get through the system uh, processed, I say, instead of instead of educated. But so you can't uh, allow people, children, to pursue their own interests, as you said, because then it's not an efficient system. You got to shove them through as quickly as possible. But then, as you said, that makes it makes it efficient in terms of getting more people through the system faster, but not efficient in terms of actually learning things. One of the uh, things that I think of. I was a tutor for a little while for an elementary school kid who had come from Portugal and he was trying to learn English. English is a very difficult language and they were trying to get him to read all of you know, the standard reader books of the boring little stories that they have. And he just was really, really struggling. And so uh, what I did was I sat down with him and we started reading Calvin and Hobbes, which is a fantastic comic strip. And it's interesting because uh, Bill Watterson, the author, he uses some advanced words in there, not what you would think of uh, for teaching someone how to read. But he also, it's really funny and really interesting illustrations and interesting little stories. And so uh, the child, he wanted to learn because he wanted to know what was going to happen, what the what the fun pictures were about and what the funny story was. So totally unorthodox, but it drew him in. And that was how he ended up learning how to read English was through something that the school system never would have done. He would have just kept struggling and struggling and thinking that he's just stupid and can't learn English. And that's the kind of thing that's not possible, I think, with the standard school system, but with something like unschooling or self-directed education is possible. Absolutely. And that's that's the most common thing I see in this as well. And when you have young people actually able to be free to learn what it is that they want, they pick up the tools of the culture and they learn whatever it is they need for those processes. So young kids will learn 
uh, you know, basic arithmetic to start just to play different types of board games or video games where the numbers count. They want to understand it. They will learn to read when it's like, oh, okay, I want to like read the subtitles on this anime, or they'll uh, want to read a manga or a comic book or whatever it is, as you just know, the cartoon strip with, I love, you know, a Calvin Hobbes, great, great series. So that's exactly it. It's when kids are actually driving what it is they're, they're interested in, they pretty much just pick up whatever they need as they're interested. And it's just up to adults to change their mindset from being, you know, these performance judges and be like, oh, you have to do this by this age and be like, okay, no, 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 it's, it's not age-based. It's just based on when you're ready and interested and you develop it as it goes, as, as you're, as you're naturally picking up things uh, for your own desires. So it's not even that weird. You know, I think we, we understand that as adults now way more readily because as adults, if we're, you know, been out of school for a long time, we know, you know, oh, okay. Yeah. If I want to learn something, I have to like pick it up and, and learn it. Right. Like if you need to do some process, like maybe fix something in your house or learn it, something new about a, a, a game you want to play or some type of event, you, you pick it up as you go. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, let me look this up. Right. So uh, the same applies to to young people. Um, there's there's no difference there. It, it's just a matter of what people want to see and signaling later, right? Obviously, there's there's things that people might want to signal for a purpose in the end, uh, but that can be addressed based on interest and need, right? You know, when you're when you're wanting to go a certain path, okay, well then you're actually interested in doing those signalings, whatever it is, passing a certification test or taking a class or studying for a standardized test that can take place. When you're actually looking to use it and you're actually, you know, looking to apply it. So, yeah, one of the I made me think that a lot of the expectations of the children really pushed on them by adults who were raised that way and so expect children to act in a certain way. Like one of we do unschooling with our children, and one of the first questions that they get asked when they're interacting with adults, what grade are you in? We, we don't do that. That's what they say. And he, uh, my oldest son, uh, particularly, he's very, very unique. He would not uh, fit in at all at a public school. He's very interested in machines and even to how he interacts with people. You know, he goes up to someone and right away what he asks is, what brand are your washer and dryer? What about your lawnmower? <laughs> and so he wants to know, and then he'll start to discuss with them the different brands of all of these appliances and which ones are better than others, which ones are gas versus electric. Like some adults, it completely throws them for a loop. Like they'd have no idea how to react to a child who is interested in these kinds of things instead of uh, the latest superhero Marvel movie or whatever nonsense. And the freedom that children can have to develop in different ways is really outstanding using, again, my son is an example. We've had this electric lawnmower that has just been broken for years, and we've just had it sitting out in the shed. And I kept saying, you know, okay, we'll we'll take it apart someday, and we'll we'll see what's inside. And that'll be really interesting. And uh, I kept not having time, and finally just said, you know what? Here's a screwdriver. Uh, go see what you can do with it. He's he's nine, by the way, for context. <laughs> and he came back. Uh, like an hour later, and he said, Dad, I fixed it. What? And he, <laughs> he did. I He had opened up the compartment that had a cable that had become disconnected, and he reconnected it and closed it back up and tested it out. 
and he fixed the lawnmower. <laughs> and that is really, I think that's really amazing because that's the kind of thing that right. people are in a good living doing is repairing appliances. And he's already started to be interested and started doing that just because, wow, he thought it was neat. Right. Yeah. It's It just shows you that when someone's actually able to go down the path, their own interests, they start on that path of problem solving on their own. You know, they, they take a look at things. They try to figure out how things work. So it, it's super cool to see. Mm -hmm. It is. So I'd like to, I just quit, switch gears a little bit. Uh, still in the, uh, the family, uh, children, family, marriage. So we're switching a little bit, uh, going to there. Uh, is you, you and uh, Fo, Fo, I keep wanting to say Fo, but it's, it's <laughs> For the philosopher, uh, you had a great a great single something <laughs> about uh, about married relationships, which was fantastic. What? Why? <laughs> it's just such a unique idea to have a song about uh, a monogamous sexual relationship, and so outside the normal not only of <laughs> in general, but of what you guys do specifically, because usually it's very freedom, you know, get the state, that kind of thing. So what's the story behind that? Sure. So I wanted to make a fun song like that just because most songs that you hear these days are about cheating or philandering or whatever. So I, I wanted to have a song that was about commitment instead, but still have a little bit of the spice. I mean, it's, it's not very graphic or anything like that, the song, you know, but it, it does have a relational experience that I described there. So I wanted to have a song that'd be fun for, for married couples and it's goofy. It, you know, it has that electro dance, uh, European techno vibe to it, that retro feel. Uh, but it was meant to just be kind of a goofy, funny th song that would make people laugh and be like, oh, you know, that's relatable if, if you're married and, and you really value commitment and monogamy. So that was why uh, we made that one song. And uh, part of it is is too, I think we are, we're still doing Liberty songs and this and that, but we definitely want to uh, expand our horizons with uh, different kinds of music and topics as well. So that's a part of that, uh, having fun a little bit and the, uh, and doing something that's that's kind of in that zone so cool so the the female vocals is that fa in the song mm -hmm. yeah that's her whoa cool i didn't i'd only heard <laughs> the, the kind of the kind of rapping stuff but it's a very different uh vocal feeling in that song so it's pretty she fun. sings in a few songs um she sings in libertarian guys she sings and i will not take the shot um she sings in anti-state so it it's um usually more background of the libertarian guys is main but yeah she does some singing stuff too she is of course known for her raps and, and mainly raps but she wants to get more into some singy type of things maybe even some r&b i don't know we'll see but this one it's very clearly her you know singing edm -E kind of smooth instead of instead of a, a rap voice yeah, so that was pretty neat one of it's interesting because true in most people's views i think especially back in uh in what, like the 90s, maybe early 2000s, uh, libertarians were typically viewed as out there from a, a cultural perspective, like very like, sexual, doing drugs, all this kind of uh, a very anti-establishment stuff. But it seems like recently there's been kind of a pushback against that, where libertarians have been more 
pro-family, pro-traditional values. Do you think that's a change in messaging from big libertarian, or do you think that the message of liberty has drawn those types of people into it? Oh, it's a mix of things. I think, um, you know, like the libertine aspects of things, because I, I, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a conservative by any measure. I might look at because I don't have any tattoos or piercings, and I'm pretty straight-laced in a lot of ways. But um, I, I think that the ideas of commitment and monogamy um, and good and healthy relationships are very attractive and are certainly something I think that people would benefit from. And I think that because there have been such a longstanding culture, especially the past 20-ish years, of people having elevated uh, a, a more flandering lifestyle and the, like uh, cheating and you know promiscuous lifestyle as a norm. I'm not saying that like this, those things never happened or anything like that before. It's more just it's a cultural thing in terms of mass media and what's entertainment this or that. Uh, so because of that, I think that people have gotten kind of a distaste for it at this point. Uh, you know what I mean? In a reactionary way, which I think is fine and great, but um, it, it's it's definitely stemming I think from those traumas. And difficulties that come from broken relationships, right? So, you know, in the 90s and the 80s too, I guess a bit, especially like uh, Reagan years, you know, you had more of the the conservative rise in media and culture being more of a dominant force. Um, and then eventually in response to that, because of the controlling aspects of that, you had a left-wing rise, a reactionary uh, group of people who are reacting to their upbringings and that conservative culture and who, you know, rejected those things. And so they embraced more of um, a sexually promiscuous uh, partying lifestyle or childless lifestyle. And so, you know, in that realm, because of that, there's a lot of dysfunctions that come from there. Um, mostly, you know, when, when it comes to, to kids being raised, I would say one of the roots there is, is fatherlessness and not having guidance and not having love and commitment. And that creates uh, trauma and instability for children, right? When they have their parents fighting, when they split, when you have a parent absent and you're, you're craving them to be there for you, to mirror their emotions and to learn from them and to have them protect you and to guide you. When you lack that uh, because of an absent parent um, and or because of fighting parents, uh, it becomes a desire, right? It becomes something like, man, I wish I had that as a kid. And so I think that that has taken its turn and has reignited an interest of people wanting to have um, respectful relationships um, and having commitment and long-term orientation and having stability for kids. Um, so that's that's kind of what I see as the total picture. I, I think that that is a good thing, um, but I would say I probably personally reject a lot of the forced government right-wing traditionalist values in terms of that being like a forcible thing by the state or, or that being something that has to be um i guess observed uh absolutely by all people at all times whatever like it, I, I don't think of that in in terms of um you know something that's that's a violent mandate i think it's uh unwise to do so i think that there's a lot of risks and problems from living that but obviously people are free to and within consent obviously i, I don't I don't think that uh, consensual relationships in that way um, should be um, shut down violently or, or you know, whatever, uh, 
I guess you could say maybe criminal, of course. Um, it, it's just in this context, it's more so a matter of uh, creating a culture that fosters that respective commitment um, in a positive and building way, not from a threat and shaming way and denigrating way. Um, so that that that's how I kind of see it. And you know, an easy comparative of that is, it, I guess you could say, is, is someone who labels the alternative as being like, oh, you're, you're a bunch of degenerates and you're just like bad and evil, right? Like, I don't take it from that perspective. I take it more from the positive perspective of. Do you want a healthy relationship? Don't do you want to be with someone who respects you and who wants to work toward connection with you? Do you want to be in a stable relationship where you can have kids and know that they're going to be there for your kids and help raise them and to be a good parent? Um, do you want to build together, right? Do you want to actually have a home and a wealth at, in aggregate from you know working and stewarding for years and decades? You know th those kinds of things. I think I think the sales point from the positive side to me makes a lot more of a wide appeal allure than the kind of like moralist denigrating you know fire and brimstone angle on that yeah i'd, I'd agree with that too it especially when it comes from a religious perspective and your eternal salvation is on the line there's almost an element mm -hmm. of coercion there not physical violence but still threatening for someone who really believes that if i do this i'm going to be damned for eternity there's <laughs> that's not a good outcome you know right yeah if if you're doing it for mystical reasons then you lose sight of why it is you're doing what you're doing it, it could short like those types of reasons can short circuit your impulsivity in a sense like oh i won't do this because i'm afraid you know i'm gonna be tortured or something, but that doesn't actually drive your self-direction and your motivation for wanting to have a good relationship and and what it is you're trying to build. And I think that matters a lot more um, in the end is, is why do you do what you do? Why do you want this kind of relationship? What do you want to see out of it? What, you know, what kind of communication do you want? What kind of experiences do you want? And so that's what drives me to, um, you know, monogamy and commitment. That's what drives me to wanting that type of, of life. Um, not just simply, you know, oh, this is something that is bad or someone says, oh, it's a sin or, oh, you know, whatever. It, it, I think that there's um, real positive reasons, beneficial reasons and things that actually make you feel fulfilled and have purpose and build for the long term that inspire that type of commitment. You know what I mean? That that should be the root. It should it should be something that's, that's you know, a blessing, something that, something that makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled, right? So... I remember listening to uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he was talking specifically, uh, not even about this subject of infidelity more broadly, but about polygamy or mm -hmm. polygyny, one man marrying multiple women. And he talked about how those are not stable societies. They always have the same kind of problems that eventually lead to societal um, decay and collapse. And it made me think, kind of putting it in terms of a free market, if there are no other incentives other than what people want to do, going for long-term stability, a general better life, it seems that most people, the system of relationships that would win out in the end is monogamy with probably a close-knit extended family, because that seems to be the 
recipe for the greatest flourishing of the humans that are involved. Yeah, I, I think that inherently when it comes to that type of relationship, you know, I, I like thinking of this as an economic sense. If you start dividing your attention up among romantic partners, that comes at a cost. Like you, there, there is, you know, uh, there is no such thing as as you have like multiple people of yourself, right? If you have your attention be given to one person instead of the other, well, the other person's not getting that attention. If you're giving your bodily resources to them, well, the other person's not getting bodily resources. If you're giving financial resources, well, and again, it's dividing that up. So the more you divide that romantic interest up, the more you're going to be exhausted and expended on those things. And I think that that ultimately does create conflict. It does create potential for um, jealousy. It can create potential for, uh, you know, basically different people's needs not getting met because they're not, you're not fully invested and committed to that one person. And some people will try to say, well, what about having multiple kids? Aren't you dividing your attention there too? And it says, today I say, yeah, it's. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no worries at all. Probably just an internet issue. Hmm. So. Looking at it from the economic perspective, I think I think that's a really cool. And I, one way I've thought of it before is uh, people like to say, "Oh, we love everyone. You gotta love everybody." But love, it's okay to say that and to have you know, that kind of basic respect for other people and consideration. But actual love that takes time and interactions in order to develop and express. And you don't have unlimited time it takes then the deeper you want that relationship to be the more time you have to invest in it and you can have a lot of a lot of casual acquaintances but really close friends of necessity the number decreases because it takes time to build that connection and really uh, i'm a bit of a romantic so true love that takes most of your life just uh, from the sheer necessity of the time that you have to spend interacting with the other person. Yeah, I I agree. I think that when it comes to that uh, depth, it's hard to say you have love with somebody if you don't have emotional vulnerability. If you're not talking about difficult topics, struggles, um, you know, pains, you know, things that you're going through that are not things that you necessarily would want to share in public kind of thing, then it's really hard to say you have love because you would have only the side of somebody that is the easy parts of lives, the positive things, right? It's very easy to idealize somebody if you just see what is good or the best versions of themselves, right? Which is why a lot of people have that on social media. They look at somebody and they're like, oh, they have all these nice pictures of themselves and they took like 20 minutes to take a selfie, you know, or, or they like look at all the things that they accomplished, but they don't realize how much pain they have behind the scenes or, or, or struggles, you know, or, or conflicts. So that is something that's incredibly important to have as a backdrop for an intimate relationship. If you actually want love and commitment is that involves each person being able and willing to talk through and process both the positive and the negative thoughts and feelings and um, emotional struggles and points of conflict. So you can't have that robustly uh, with lots of people, as you said, because it's of the time issue. It's not possible to give your full attention to multiple people at once and to hear all their problems and all their different you know, issues and to, and to empathize with them or to mirror them. 
um, which of course ties into you know politicians and why they could never meaningfully represent the constituency because there's no way they can shake you know 10 million hands or whatever and actually hear everybody's thoughts and be like this it's a nonsense thing mm -hmm. so uh, you know that type of intimacy just cannot be had and and ultimately the number of people who you can truly have that depth of relationship with it is few uh because of, of the time required and the vulnerability required so i i uh, agree there that you know it, the more you spread that out and the more you make that thin, the the less you're actually having a loving, intimate relationship. You're moving toward superficiality and acquaintance level. The more you move away from depth of regular emotional vulnerability, connection, and mutual, you know, reciprocal understanding of each other. And there's something something to be said too with dealing dealing with the darkness that's in in a person's soul discussing deep and sometimes painful things with other people and because it's painful people tend to not like pain and so it can be especially if there's a, a societal expectation or at least not uh, not condemnation of it to just when things start to get that emotionally deep to just slide to another person and to have that you know happy light surface level and superficial but uh enjoyable relationship with another person but then never getting down to uh, what needs to be dealt with and it seems to me like there's almost almost an element of of cowardice there of a unwillingness to face the difficult things of life the tricky thing is that it's really easy to do um to just it's like eating candy. You know, it's it's really easy to just eat candy and keep eating candy because it tastes so good and it's right here, but it's not going to be good in the long run. Yeah, and that, and that is its own difficulty getting to that point because for many people, if they haven't really worked through their own traumas and their own reactions and habits, they're also having to, in the moment with the other person that they're trying to connect with, their loved one, they're, they're making their own mistakes, um, you know, whether it's being impatient or using shaming labels or using generalizations about somebody or imputing malintent um, or setting expectations on someone that's unexpected and being mad at them if they don't meet them. There's there's like many different ways, you know, toxic behavior traits can come out if one hasn't worked through their own. So that that's its own journey and, and very difficult uh, you know, journey to do to be in a relationship with someone while you're still also processing your own dysfunctions, especially if you have a lot of them because of lots of trauma from childhood and, and poor modeling, which is more common than ever thanks to so many broken relationships, um, so many divorces, and so many you know toxic behaviors picked up like in, in public school, like we talked about. Yeah, and then it's very easy, like we said, to just avoid that by sliding to another person whenever it starts to become too difficult whenever you would have to grow and overcome those problems. Because if you're just with one person, they can call you out on it and say, hey, this isn't an okay behavior. You're doing this and it needs to stop because it's it's hurting me, it's hurting the children, hurting our relationship. And then you have to face that instead of just going to the next, going to the next person. There's a a lack of growth, it seems to me that, or maybe turn it around, a growth, a personal growth that happens in that kind of faithful monogamous relationship. 
that then, as you said, sets the stage for the children, for them to develop stronger characters, stronger intellects into better people. And then that can continue forth in future generations. Absolutely. Yeah, that long-term orientation and modeling for kids is key. And for men and women, they have their stereotypical faults, we can say, in terms of what is most likely, right? Guys are more likely to seek sexual validation outside the relationship because they get emotionally exhausted quickly. You know, they don't want to deal with women's emotions as much, and they just want to have that, you know, sexual release. So guys are the ones more likely to do that type of thing. And girls, when they feel unheard or they can't get mirrored enough or they, they, they feel invalidated, right, they seek emotional validation outside the relationship. And that can also, of course, then lead to sexual. But that, that tends to be the most typical experience, right, is that guys don't um, – know how to connect as well and they just want to you know get their sexual release and they do that outside the relationship girls they feel emotionally invalidated not you know know how to bring it up or afraid to bring up their thoughts and feelings to process them and then they want to go message some other person you know and, and start a relationship you know whatever outside um it's it's um a very common flaw and trope and breaking that requires that mentality of saying okay i want to work extra hard at this and be vulnerable and try to communicate even if you feel a little fearful um and to process those things and of course if you need help um beyond that of course if you have well-adjusted self, uh, safe others or just a good counselor you know in therapy those are ways that you can you can get help for those types of things but it's it's very trying for a lot of people to get those needs met these days because i think so many people do not have that model modeled for them now these days because the divorce rate has been so relatively high and the modeling of behavior has been so terrible especially as amplified within the schooling and, and, and media context um you know the, people's ability to have emotional depth while also valuing truth, which is a big part of that truth as a value, as as a priority has to be something that's grounded in the relationship that has been lost in a lot of ways and, and as a cultural norm. And so that makes it difficult for people to have connection when they don't have that modeling and know what to do and they don't have truth as their ultimate value. Now, it does it does seem to me like there's been what ironically at this point is almost a countercultural movement uh, back toward religion, back toward traditional lifestyle, hashtag trad life, <laughs> uh, things like that. Do you think, is that kind of starting to turn the tables on all of this? Is that uh, a legitimate movement that's gaining, gaining steam or is it just like a passing fad? What do you think? It's gained steam, but I do believe that the people who are spearheading those things are actually um, not very versed in the things that they are trying to espouse. From what I see, a lot of the people who, who are spearheading this are projecting that as their ideal, right? They're, they're saying, I want this thing. And they and they re-idealize it right in these like 1950s pictures, memes they post and stuff. Or oh, here's some like crusader, and okay, you're a knight, and magically you have Western traditional values, something which is to me comedic, because again, they're doing the same problem. They're they're reinventing the problem of this idealization, this conceptualization of oh, this is how a perfect relationship is, and they haven't done zilch 
on uh, actually thinking through what it takes to have that kind of relationship, the vulnerability of communication, the thought process, all that type of uh, self-work depth. They haven't done any of that. So I think that we have kind of a, a dangerous reactionary um, element uh, to you know the the major le cultural leftism and, and cultural Marxism, because the reaction without the principles and without the the depths of self knowledge work ends up recreating the shaming control complex that then creates the reactivity from the next generation of of kids. Right. So if you have that reactionary swing. And you start having parents who are like forceful with their kids and saying, oh, you need to like go to church and read the Bible or, or you, you know, you need to be this way and shame them or, you know, that kind of thing. You've just reinvented the, the, the trauma process, right? Because now you haven't taught kids thinking skills. You haven't taught kids what it takes to have a, a healthy relationship. You haven't taught emotional vulnerability. You've just created this idealization of, oh, traditional family, but you have no actual specifics of advice about how to have healthy relationships, healthy boundaries in a relationship, how to have communication, um, you know, that goes both ways, how to be vulnerable. And these are, these are things that are well-known and well-written about. And I often reference, um, to me, some of the best authors on that from uh, Marshall B. Rosenberg to Charles Whitfield um, to Daniel C uh, Siegel. Um, the, you know, there, there's um, just a host of different great authors who are doctors, psychologists, who have families who've applied this and who have lived it, you know, not just talk about it, walk it. And I think that is really what is needed if you want to sustain those values. You need to be able to both have the knowledge of how to, you know, have that, but also then to not reinstitute the traumas on your kids that makes them then react to become the next generation of the leftist kind of, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the reactionary aspect, I think for some people is kind of like them trying to control for, for what they want as ideal. It's like, Oh, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to be. This is what I want to be. But if you see nothing but those images, if you see nothing but the idealization and you don't see them posting about, here's how to have a good relationship. Here's some books to read to work on your childhood trauma. Here's a great book to read on how to set healthy boundaries and respect them in a relationship. Then you have nothing. You've literally just created a, you know, a niche fandom and click of people who are like, oh yeah, Western traditional values. And they, they really don't know anything. And they're just going to go on to abuse their kids, hit them and reignite all the traumas you know that they were so triggered by that led to their reactionary state mm -hmm. so that's my personal biggest concern and i you know i don't i don't focus too much on that like i don't like have a page where i'm like let me focus on relationships and all this stuff as a as a thing but i do see that sometimes within the honest teacher you know resources and books about healthy relationships and peaceful parenting and things like that just to Get that in people's hands because again if they can get some of that knowledge in the process of helping their child and and uh, you know looking at unschooling then there we go we got them on the path of self-knowledge and healing and passing that on to you know their kids at least right um but it, it is something that needs to be done i just don't know as of current that there's anyone doing it in a in a very healthy and unified way mm -hmm. it's it's typically more divorced um from the context we talk in. We talk in the context often of the liberty sphere, non-aggression principle and philosophy, 
there, it, there's people who are more in the, the psychology of things like they're psychologists or therapists and stuff. And, and they're talking about the, you know, healthy patterns, healthy thought patterns, um, healthy relationships, things, but those are often not together. Like it's not, it's not typically um, in a unified presentation. I would say Stefan Molyneux probably was one of the ones who really did do that. Um, he, he had that focus and he did try to touch on both. Um, but there hasn't really been since him, I think, a sole individual doing that type of unification in a major public way um, as, as a focus, right? The integration of um, self-knowledge and healing oneself in good relationships plus the the, the voluntary thing. I, I mean, of course, I would love to do more with that and things like that, but I have to get all my, my other ducks in a row so <laughs> before I do so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could, but that's something I would say for down the road with more, you know, years of experience under my belts. Because you know, what good is 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 that without me? You know, when I have kids and I, when I when I show it and live it, people would take that much more seriously. Mm -hmm. And even Stefan only had one kid, right? You know, he was out there, you know, fertilize your eggs, and it's like, dude, you only had one kid yourself. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh -huh. yeah. it's like, get out of here, dude. But he had good, you know, good advice and stuff. But you know, yeah, that sounds like a neat, yeah. neat opening. Uh, for someone who could have that kind of a voice and start that kind of uh, a real movement instead of the the superficial, glossy uh, one that a lot of people are buying into right now of traditional families and the idealized uh, traditional life instead of building upon solid foundational principles. Yeah, it, it, it's tough because it's it's an integration of a lot of very specialized fields. To integrate this thoroughly, you know, we're talking about philosophy and ethics, behavioral science and psychology, biology, dealing with even things that you do in terms of what you eat and you know how you <laughs> take care of yourself. I mean, there, there's so many different aspects to it. It, it. It's it is difficult for one person to do correctly and consistently well, and it's it's also kind of hard too because a lot of people who are in our space. When it comes to public figures, um, you know, doing so always comes at its own expense, right? With family and kids, because you can't be a big activist and constantly traveling and doing speaking and stuff like that without that having an effect on you not being around, you know, for your kids. So I think that, you know, the nature of being an activist in the liberty sphere can conflict and clash with often having, um, that needed development and growth and, and spending time with your kids, it, it, it's, it's difficult to balance. It, it is difficult. And so that's why I think it's a time thing. I think we will have a generation of us who are going to be those experts and those you know unified thinkers, but it'll probably take another 10 or 20 years, right? For those of us who are in the zone now, who have unified this philosophy and have years under our belt with having kids and raising them up to a, you know, a decent point in their lives and then to be able to speak from experience with that credibility it's it's going to take some time you know it's it's definitely it's definitely going to take some time but we're we're there you know what i mean in terms of having that groundwork being laid we're you know we're definitely there with we have a lot of people who are solid voluntarists um small libertarians working on the peaceful parenting working on the unschooling applying it living it and i think that once those things come to a head and we sure our ideas and we apply them and we discuss and we, you know, grow, we're going to have a pretty well unified um, messaging, you know, to, to offer people on that kind of thing, you know?
<laughs> yeah, and I think that's a that's an important thing that that the liberty side has to offer. There's a contrast to even when even when stuff on uh, on the other side, whether left or right statists, when they start grassroots, the object is always to get control of the government one way or another to pass this law, get this policy in place to force people to do what we think is right. Whether that's uh, being able to have uh, punishing people who don't like this kind of family or punishing people who do anything but this kind of family. But ours operates from the opposite perspective. We want, uh, we want the grassroots, we want individual people to change, but then we want that to spread so that more people can change, not so that anyone can be forced to live a certain way, but so that everyone can choose um, appropriately, having all of the tools, all of the freedoms necessary, choose to live in the best way possible. And free market, as we were talking about before, for a lot of people, that's going to work, look a specific way. Some people, it's going to look a different way, and that's okay. I'm bringing it back, bringing it back to the schooling. You know, some people, like we mentioned, uh, sitting in, sitting in a classroom and learning that kind of way, that works for some people. A lot of people, it doesn't. And uh, children and adults need to have that freedom to be able to learn and improve themselves in ways that work best for them instead of being coerced into meeting someone else's expectations, uh, let alone the expectations of a government bureau somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. But Jack, man, we got into some deep stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what we do here. We go deep. (laughs) It was, it was a good conversation though. So uh, before we wrap up any any last things you want to hit on? Any plugs for things that you and Phil are doing? Sure, why not? Uh, so the next thing we have coming up, I guess, if we're still alive after the hurricane, is, is uh, on September 9th, Lou Perez is coming down. We're doing a comedy show at the gun range, and that will be at Reload Gun Range in Florida. So we have that on Eventbrite. You just Google, don't shoot Lou. It'll come right up, don't shoot Lou. And that'll be a lot of fun. So we have him coming down to do a little bit of comedy. We're going to shoot on the range together. We have a lounge hangout, and there's three separately ticketed events. Um, so that will be you know a, a fun time Saturday afternoon to evening. And uh, as of right now, like we're in. Uh, other than that, we're we're in a waiting period for the next voluntarist arc. So I'm going to be launching the next campaign, the next arc, probably you know in November, maybe November first, tentatively at this point. And we do have another secret project that I wish I could talk about, but I can't right now, but you're going to love it when it comes out. Finally, it's been a long process, another long process one, but I think you're you going to really like what we have. What's that? Can you give us a hint? I can give you a hint that it is, um, as most as I can say is uh, it's a book. Okay. I was far as go. So this is a good, this is a good I'm start. not saying what, what kind of book, what's in it, the audience, the topic, but it's something that, all right. Um, and it's not, I'm not talking about my third book. I'm not, my, th- I have a third book that'll be coming out, a nonfiction book. Another new book. Okay. Yeah. So I do have another nonfiction book. It'll be the end of this trilogy the Libertarian Voluntarism Definitive Guide, Vision for the Libertarian Future. And the last is Philosophical Voluntarism. So that will be the last one for that trilogy, which I'm kind of envisioning as this introductory primer set for people who are kind of new to it all and want to just understand it all quickly and like kind of get some self-help and get some guidance and principles instilled that's kind of nice. what i'm framing that trilogy as so 
And uh, I don't know. Well, maybe do some more songs. I don't. I don't know. We have them written. We have them ready to go. But it's been it's been a busy season. So, <laughs> so being a fan of the Volunteers, though, I've got to ask the next arc. Mm-hmm. What what's it going to focus on? Is is Jack going to have confrontations uh, with the government? Is a new a new superhero going to show up? A super villain? What I want to know. Okay. Okay. So if you do want to know, I can tell you this. So the next arc is called suit saga and there will be a villain in fact if you go to um, indiegogo like if you were to go to igg dot me forward slash at forward slash suit saga i know it's a lot to say but anyway i could give a like later but there is a pre-campaign sign up page so if if you want to get you know notified when it launches you can put your email in there and you see a little short preview of the cover for suit saga a little a little piece of it and then i'll give you a hint of what's coming um but the suit saga with the title uh it, it's going to be talking about how he finally gets his suit so even though we show the suit in the cover here he doesn't get his suit in the in the origins arc um because that's technically when we're developing all the, the character and plot elements before he actually gets to that point and then suit saga that's how you'll see how he gets his suit but then that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is a ton more, you know, story development and character introduction and other stuff like that in that arc. So we're going to be shooting at a minimum for that first issue of that arc. And I don't know, I'm just hoping for the moon. If I can get even a 10% of what Ripperverse did, that would be awesome. So that's, that's my goal. Now I'm like, I'm looking at Eric July's work. I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's go for this. <laughs> so it's um, very inspiring. And I think that the independent, uh, industry his comic series um cyber frog a bunch of other comic skate people uh, included i think we're really seeing that paradigm shift starting to waterfall at this point uh, from what i'm just watching online at, at the independent crowd you're seeing in droves their success and and the shifting uh over toward the alternative entertainment media you know and eric live really i think has done the best of that so far in terms of signaling and showing how you know how it gets done um but he's not alone in that. And there's several other people in that zone who I follow and I've been paying attention to. And it's it's, it's definitely starting to, you know, pouring over the dam, the dam of of all of Hollywood trying to keep out the alternatives while they, you know, status SJW everything up. So, uh, so they've been already they've been asking for that for uh, for a long time, though, the Hollywood and uh, big comics and uh, the publishers, because they've just been it seems like they've been churning out stuff that they want to see and not yeah. caring about what people want to watch. And so at, at first they could fool people with like, Oh, it's the new Marvel movie. It's the new Disney movie, the new star Wars movie. But uh, the numbers have steadily been declining of people who actually show up to watch those and who buy the books and toys and movies. And oh, yeah. not only are they starting to feel it, but other people are starting to go into that that void in the market that they've left people like Eric July, people like yourself. So that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and they're just doing it to themselves at this point because they have limits, right? They have limits about the content they can make. And then of course, with who they put in for their writers, they're just making it all SJW status stuff that people don't want in the first place. Yeah. So to me, I'm just like, all right, we're going to win across the board because Eric's focus is on just having something that, doesn't do all that nonsense pandering and just focuses on, you know, having a, um, a a respected timeline story. Right. So his book's not even like anything crazy in terms of, Oh, it's like 
something political really or it's anti-woke or something no it's just a regular comic book story just it's just like hey we're just going to go back to like originally how you know people wanted to have their comics without all this nonsense in it right so he's just doing the okay let's cut out the junk and here's a right that's it and then boom people like oh okay finally something that's without all this annoying crap in it yay and then me i'm on the other side where i'm like i'm doing the things that they won't do i'm doing i'm doing what nobody else would ever do in the mainstream, which is flip the norms on their head about the government being a default good. And I'm not doing it in a way where it's preachy, like my comic books, especially, you know, once I left my original, um, you know, prototyping and I went to the actual origin story, my my comics are not some, you know, Jack Trick, uh, <laughs> Jack Chick track here. They're literally a comic book story. It's just, oh, okay, instead of the government being a default normal good, it's, oh, okay, it's just viewed as a default normal evil. It's like, whoa, like to you, that's so shocking because they're so used to every single thing being like, yeah, government's good and necessary. And at worst, it just has some bad apples or there's this one bad government and they need a different leader, right? That's it. Mine, I just, oh, okay, I change the norms and I do it in a way that nobody else will ever touch. So that makes me immediately 10 times more unique than anything Marvel DC will ever put out. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's my market advantage. <laughs> nice. I love it. Well, I get those links over. Uh, put them in the description and people can check it out. I'm going to go check it out. Sub Suit Saga. Yeah, Suit Saga is the next arc. All right. Let me check it out. Jack, thanks so much for spending time with us today. And you have a great day. Be safe in that hurricane. But uh, more important than being safe, be free. You too. I appreciate it. I will. I'll try. <laughs> I'll do the best we can. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.